This is a Federal News Network podcast. Congress has fielded complaints about the VA's Office of Accountability and Whistleblower Protection since that office's inception. The office has not gotten especially high marks from the VA Inspector General or whistleblowers for that matter either. Now a House committee is considering legislative changes. Members agree something needs to change with the current VA Accountability Office, but they can't agree yet on what those changes ought to be. We get more now from Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. The House Veterans Affairs Committee is discussing improvements to VA's Office of Accountability and Whistleblower Protection. The Trump administration created OAWP back in 2017, and Congress codified it into law a year later. But the VA Accountability Office has struggled to earn trust from VA employees and even some members of Congress. The agency's inspector general previously said OAWP often failed to protect whistleblowers and sometimes misinterpreted its own functions. Democrats and Republicans, though, agree something has to change, but they're just not sure what. Congressman Tracy Mann is the ranking member of the House VA Oversight and Investigation Subcommittee. And while well-intentioned, I think time has shown that the office is duplicative and not serving the true needs of whistleblowers. With an annual budget of around $22 million, OAWP has cost taxpayers roughly $90 million in its 40s of existence and has not returned anywhere near that value of its work. The House committee is considering two bills on OAWP, and each suggests a different path forward for the office. Congressman Chris Pappas is the chairman of the House VA subcommittee. Obviously, whistleblowers are essential to the department. They're vital for bringing to light waste, fraud, and abuse. And it's essential that we have a VA that is safe and welcoming for all and that whistleblowers will have their rights protected. The two bills may address the issue from different angles, but I know that Ranking Member Mann and I share the same goal. That's an OAWP that's trustworthy and good for veterans and the department. Pappas has introduced one of the bills. It's called the Strengthening VA Whistleblower Protection Act. And it would create a general counsel within OAWP itself. It would be independent from the general counsel within VA central office. And the bill prohibits OAWP employees from discussing ongoing cases with the department's counsel. It also adds more protections and assurances for senior executives. And it would require OAWP to work more closely with whistleblowers on their cases. Republicans are working on a second bill, and it would eliminate OAWP's statutory authority to investigate allegations of senior leader misconduct and poor performance and certain whistleblower retaliation complaints. It would transfer that authority instead to the Office of Special Counsel. VA employees today have multiple channels to report whistleblower retaliation, including at OAWP and OSC. And the department's inspector general says employees don't often know where to go to make their disclosures. Congressman Jack Bergman. It's one thing to have overlap in bureaucracies. It's another have to have overlap to the point of actually uh, limiting the ability of each of the offices to function. And that's, that's a challenge of any bureaucracy. VA says it's not taking a position just yet on either of these bills, but the department says OAWP has made some changes. Hansel Cardero is the acting OAWP director. You know, we have undergone substantive changes over the last 12 months, and we have results to show for it. For example, in the last last year, effectively, we have issued 98 uh, 98 recommendations, 39 disciplinary recommendations for senior leader misconduct, 29 disciplinary recommendations for VA supervisors for whistleblower retaliation, and 30 non-disciplinary recommendations, for example, corrective action for whistleblowers. All these recommendations and all this work occurs internally within OAWP, and we basically develop the reports of investigation 
Again, we would rely on OGC for legal advice, but we typically, once an issue is spoken to in the law or in VA policy, there's no need to sort of, again, consult on each investigation, and we don't do so. Those numbers are in stark contrast to data that OAWP previously provided to Congress. The VA Accountability Office had recommended disciplinary action against just six senior leaders for misconduct and one supervisor for whistleblower retaliation over the course of a previous 18-month period. It reviewed thousands of complaints. Congress is also considering a few other legislative changes that could have an impact on the VA workforce. It wants to lift the cap on the number of equal employment opportunity counselors. VA says that would alleviate the workload for its EEO counselors as the size of the overall agency workforce is growing. Jeffrey Mayo is VA's Acting Assistant Secretary for Human Resources, Administration, Operations, Security, and Preparedness. The counselors are not able to do some of that forward-leaning, preventive-type work to deal with any kind of complaints at early stages or even prevent them from coming in as a complaint because their caseloads are high. What we have assessed at this point is that if the cap were removed, we would look to bring on an additional 36 more counselors as soon as possible to address this workload. Another bill would give the VA Inspector General subpoena power over former employees, contractors, and other partners. Both VA and the IG like this legislation. Chris Wilbur is counsel to the VA Inspector General. We run into situations where we want to speak with a healthcare provider or or a supervisor when we are undertaking a healthcare inspection related to an adverse outcome at a VA medical center, and that healthcare provider has already left VA employment. They've gone to the private sector and they are unavailable to us in terms of our ability to compel them to speak with us and provide information that we can then use to evaluate the health care provided and to make recommendations to the department about how to improve health care going forward. Meantime, other members of Congress are concerned VA is taking too long to restore official time and collective bargaining. That was the mandate in President Biden's executive order from January, and it instructed agencies to restore office space and equipment to unions. That process, though, is taking longer at some facilities than others. Jessica Bongiorni is the Chief of Human Capital Management at the Veterans Health Administration. So there are three main areas where we're still working to get to full resolution in rescinding the executive orders, and those are official time, returning space, as well as providing IT equipment and accounts. And so as each facility goes through what local procedures they need to go through, what we're generally finding is that sometimes there are miscommunications that are leading to uh, some of the challenges there that we are working through individually as they come up. So, for example, there may be situations where space has been repurposed for clinical care. And in those cases, we need to find alternative space that is amenable for our labor partners. And so it just takes a little time to work that out or to provision new IT equipment and do the wiring and such. So we are well on our way to being complete. We are close to 90 percent across the entire system for completion of each of those tasks. Nicole Grisco, Federal News Network. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. 
great men theory, the leader follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader. All of these are backward looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired others and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation, uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? 
Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've led this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling. Uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. SMS text, 9.32 p.m. Hey, man, I'm not home yet. Grabbing a quick drink with my lady friend, LOL. But just wait for me there, dude. The spare key is under the big gray planter by the garage. Peace. When you send messages on SMS, someone else could be reading them. With end-to-end encryption, WhatsApp ensures that your personal messages are your personal messages. WhatsApp. Always message privately. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.